Welcome to Wise Health for Women Radio with Linda Prater. Women are pressed daily to give more, learn more, and be more, often at the expense of mind, body, or spirit. Each week with intriguing guests and topics, we'll bring you fresh ways to view your limited time, encouraging a shift to new, healthier perspectives. Wise Health for Women Radio, helping women thrive. And now here's your host, Linda Prater. Good morning. We are so glad that you have joined us today. We are starting a very interesting series that came from a discussion with my marvelous guest, Susie Reese. And we're going to be talking in numerous shows about loss and grief. And once we began speaking to one another about this specific topic, we realized this is an almost endless topic with nuances that matter to all of us. And there's so many things about loss and grief that are societal, that are personal, that are disrupting and sudden sudden and shocking. And it, it really is an interesting topic in our society because oftentimes loss and grief are seen as something you just move on from. There's a specific timeline, and once we really begin to delve into this, we realize there is no specific timeline, that healing is not linear, and that by our talking about things, we might be able to help those of you, and most everyone has gone through some sort of loss, work through some thoughts that you thought no one else had. And I'd like to introduce you to Susie Reese. She's an amazing speaker, motivational, inspirational speaker, a suicide prevention specialist. And Susie has been on our program before. And I am really honored that we are talking about such a difficult topic with such a candid, warm individual. Susie, welcome. Thank you so much for having me back. I really appreciate it. Well, I think this is such an important topic. It's a tough one. But it is, it is, everyone has experienced loss. And there are so many faces of loss. And maybe you can explain what you think that means, how many types of loss there are. You know, I, I think that that's, that's the, the issue is how do you explain it, really? And as I've experienced more losses throughout my life, I realized that it's a, a, a matter of a very personal, intimate experience for any individual. So we often think of loss in the realm of, of death or having lost a loved one. And that definitely is a very encompassing, that's a very large piece of, of what we mean when we say loss. But there are other variations that we go through, uh, relationships that we've lost, or even purpose that is something that so many people struggle with. And especially in my realm, when it comes to suicide prevention, mm -hmm. that is a huge issue for so many different types of people. So many populations is that, that sense of purpose. So I feel that I can't really define that concept, <laughs> um, for every person. I think it's a very intimate personal experience and perspective is the most important piece of it. And the funny thing is, perspective is the thing that seems to go away. When you're in the midst of loss, suddenly there is, in my experience, there is nothing else but that loss. And it takes a lot of intentional effort and time and stages to get through to the point where you realize that there is some perspective to things. Would you agree with that? 
I definitely do. And I, I think too, that we often find ourselves stuck in our own shoes and when it doesn't relate to us necessarily, or it's something outside of our own understanding that we don't always look at it from other people's perspective. And that's, that can be difficult. I know for me personally, over the past several months, I've seen people who've made a lot of effort, but then there are those that you're very surprised by who don't make any effort. And, and I think part of that is their perspective is different. They're limited in understanding what you're what you're going through in some ways. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But I think in our society, we don't pause anymore. Mm. And I think that that, that intentional pause is so critical, not just in this concept, but, you know, even on social media, we don't, we just put things on there sometimes, right? (laughs) Yes. Yes, we do. But you know, you make such a good point with the intentional pause because Everything is so immediate. There are headlines every five minutes. There's an alert on the news for everything. Everything is an alert. But when a real alert hits you in the form of a life experience, we don't often know how to process it, how to share it. And I think you made a very profound statement when you said some people don't know how to respond or some people surprised you when they didn't respond. I think that's one of the hardest things to know what to say, to know how to acknowledge it, to not give a cliche when that's what, you know, tends to come out of our mouths when faced with a social situation. And yet some things have no words. And for those, I like to say that, you know, to them, you know, I'm, I'll just sit with you if that will be helpful because I know that that's what I needed. Not someone to fix things for me, but to acknowledge that I was hurting. I think that that's very true. I find that I'm a type A. I want, I want to be the one that fixes, but like you said, sometimes there are no words. Mm -hmm. And with that, sometimes there is absolutely nothing that can be done by anyone. Mm -hmm. And especially if you're, in that epicenter of grief, um, you, you find that you don't know what to do. So how would anyone else know what to do? But I think too, that sitting there with someone can be very uncomfortable, especially if you don't know what those expectations are. So it's, it's a very courageous thing to do, to be able to sit with someone while they're in pain. Glenn, I think that there's also the aspect of, People don't know what to do with other people's pain. You know, if it's something less impactful, you can give someone a hug. Uh, You can say kind, compassionate words. But with severe sudden loss or long chronic loss, it doesn't make a difference. It's it almost feels as though it can be contagious. So when people don't know what to say, many Many of us were raised, if you have nothing nice to say, say nothing at all. But in this case, it isn't about saying something mean. It's about saying something that you're afraid may harm, or it's just so uncomfortable to you that you just don't know what to say. And I think I feel sorriest for those people because they don't have a way of, as you said, you want to jump in and help. And I tend to think most people do in the face of loss, but sometimes they're just aren't the words, in which case the presence or a note or doing something for someone 
can be helpful, but even that can be overwhelming. I agree. And I think too, that in, in those situations, sometimes if you don't know the person, it Mm -hmm. makes it difficult because we all grieve differently. And, you know, after you lose a few people in your life, at least for me, I felt like I understand this, this grief process. And I don't, I don't have a clue. Uh, I know less now than I did before. And I think part of that is because every relationship is different. Every loss is different. Every pain is different. And there may be some similarities, but it is not the same. And in that, those people that are around you may expect you to behave in a way that they've seen you behave before, but because it's a new loss, it's, it's not the same behavior. So I think that makes it difficult. And I find that sometimes instead of saying the wrong thing unintentionally or bringing up those feelings again for someone that they think is healing, they, they steer clear of it. I had someone a few weeks ago, um, uh, with my, my role, I don't, see the same people every day. So it makes it difficult when you've experienced loss because every time I see someone that I haven't seen in months, that may be the first time I've seen them since something bad has happened. And so for me, it's a constant refresher of, you know, I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm so sorry for the things that you've experienced, which is beautiful that that's what they want to do and say. But at the same time, it does, it's a, a bit of a reminder so this gentleman made that comment and then he apologized immediately and said, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to remind you. And knowing me, I just kind of laughed and I said, you know, I didn't forget. Um, you didn't remind me of something that I forgot about. It's just, it's difficult. There is no way to, you know, there are no words that are appropriate. And we do say those cliche things like, how are you? And then people immediately say, Oh, of course I know you're not good. Right. Um, I think our communication around this topic is very lacking, quite honestly. I feel as though we don't know how to speak around it because we for so long haven't. I think that's a huge barrier. And I think, too, that it's an uncomfortable topic. And there are people that aren't able to do it in the midst of it. We will have a very short break, and we will be back after the break. We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. During the holidays, temptation is everywhere. Christmas parties, office parties, Thanksgiving dinner, Christmas dinner, New Year's parties, not to mention the cookie exchanges and delectable food gifts. It seems like every time you turn around, you're faced with temptation to eat the wrong foods and get off your healthy living lifestyle. I want you to know that you can go through the holiday season and make good choices and still have a fabulous and merry time. This holiday season, don't make food your focus. There's so much more to the holidays than just incredible food. Make your family, friends, and loved ones the focal point of the season. Center in on the true meaning of why we celebrate and give thanks. It's okay to enjoy some wonderful food, too. Just keep your portion sizes in check and stay faithful to your exercise. I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. It's words you never heard. So last night, my husband was laughing as he was reading about the differences between men and women. According 
to the article, Men Get Single Tusks or Hiccups More Often Than Women. Everyone knows that women are better at multitasking than men. I'm good at both multitasking and procrastinating, which means right now there are 28 things that I'm putting off until later. What's another word for a person who puts everything off until the last minute? A cunctator. Women blink nearly twice as much as men. And while men can read smaller print than women, women can hear better. In fact, when a woman says, what? She heard you. She's just giving you a chance to change what you said. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back. Well, we were on break. Unfortunately, we lost internet at my end, so I'm going to sound slightly different than I did in the first segment. Susie, I agree with you. The awkwardness of communicating something that maybe we haven't gone through before, or it's been many years, or you may not know that person, can really make it difficult to find either the right words, the right expression, even how to behave. And I think in this country, this is my overall thought, we don't know how to grieve. We don't know what is accepted. We don't know how we are supposed to act. We don't even know how we feel sometimes. And I do remember after my mother died, I I couldn't believe the world was just going on. How could everybody go about their business? How could people um, not say something after such a severe loss? And you've gone through losses as well. And you become numb. You become numb. You're not sure if you're unique. You feel alone. Uh, Confusion. There are people that are still asking a lot of you. And and to me, it was a very paralyzing experience. How would you describe yours? Each one has been different and difficult in their own way. I think the the earliest loss was my father. And recently uh, I had a few, a nephew and a niece who lost, I lost their, my sister and their mother. And I was speaking with someone who works with mourning children. And Mm -hmm. he made the comment about how, you know, how are the adults around them modeling grief? And that just stuck with me because I thought about when I was younger and what I saw and it was a very almost shameful experience for a lot of the people that were around. Uh, They tended to go in another room. Um, They tended not to be open with it. And I think too, culturally grief is different among cultures, but so Mm -hmm. I, I think growing up, I had this mentality that it's, it's too much for anyone else. You keep it to yourself. And I I feel like that's part of the issue because you do feel alone and you do feel like there's this burden on you and that you need to shield others from it. But by doing that, we're also telling them that they don't need to help us. They don't need to step into that. One of my sisters told me, uh, she made the comment that when people want to help in these situations, we have to get better at accepting that help. 
even if we don't necessarily feel like we need it. Because in those situations, we're opening that door for them and we're letting them know what role they can play in, in our lives, in those experiences. And it, it felt very poignant to me because I think, you know, for me, I'm one of those people I want to help, but I also don't want to ask too much of anyone. And I feel like sometimes we do that, but in these types of life experiences, what is too much to ask of anyone? You're going through something horrible and tragic and, and, and it's, it's a lot. So it's okay not to be able to handle it all by yourself. It's okay to need others. Um, but communicating that that's, that's the difficulty. Do you think this stoicism is particular to just those who are remarkably independent and self-sufficient, or do you feel like stoicism is something that our society kind of asks of us, or are we allowing ourselves to not ask for help? I think it's probably a tiered issue. I think that as a society... (laughs) You know, we we have this mentality of everything is beautiful, everything is happy, everything is successful, and vulnerability is dangerous. It can be very beautiful depending on the medium in which you're being vulnerable. Arts are always an easy area to to allow Mm -hmm. someone to have pain, but as a professional, for example, if you have too many things that aren't going well in your life, you seem less professional to everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, Really unfortunate because we have this mentality just as a society that success breeds success. But if you look throughout history, failure breeds success. Um, It's true. Beautiful role models throughout time were very much big failures throughout their lives. So I think that that's how we learn the best. But then when you look at it on a, on a smaller scale, on a personal level, it's, it's going to be different for every person. There's definitely some genres, some, some populations of people who may lean whichever way due to their culture. Um, it's just very interesting. I know growing up in the South that we have this very, everything is, it can be handled, um, within the family mentality and Mm -hmm. that mean that we're actually making those moves forward, right? We just don't want anyone else to know about it. So I think that it just depends on where you are and, and how you've been raised, but that concept of modeling it at a young age, um, it's interesting. I have three children, my daughter is 14 and then I have two younger boys. The boys have not seen me cry a lot, but they have less comprehension level of, of what's been going on. Whereas my daughter is like, I've never seen you cry this much before, (laughs) you know? Um, but to me it's good because I want her to know that first of all, I I can't necessarily control that. Right. That's how Mm -hmm. I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. But also it's okay that if you are feeling that, that you are allowed to do that. And I don't really remember a lot of adults doing that a lot around me growing up. I think part of that was that need to be strong for others. And it's unfortunate because we put a lot of pressure on those who are in grief to also support others who are in grief. So I I don't know how you fix that, but 
uh, I've seen that a lot recently too, where someone has lost someone very important to them and they're picking up the pieces of everyone else around them. So, well, in some cases I tend to think that's because somebody has to pick up the pieces and it's often those that are closest to it. And that busyness is one way of working through the the steps. But in my case, I was picking up pieces, and I feel like I did not grieve. I had a newborn. I had a heartbroken father. I had a sibling. We had so many pieces to pick up, and I I was last on the list. And I noticed that over the years, the smallest things would bring back memories. And I would suddenly find myself in a puddle. And that's when I absolutely learned words sometimes aren't as important as, the, as you said, having people to help you. But that vulnerability is not easy to do if you're seen as the one that is the strong one, that is the the one who always has it together. You feel like you're letting someone down if you aren't. And I was pretty darn young. Um, not, I was in my late 20s, but I had a newborn, and I just I was handling too much in the way of trying to pretend that, well, we knew this was coming. It was a chronic illness, but it was still a shock. And I think that's what I want to convey to people is no matter if you know the 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 difference when you do know that death is coming is you can prepare yourself a little bit, but there is no totally preparing. A sudden loss, such as what you have recently experienced, is, is shocking in the way it takes it on. But loss is loss, I, and I, it's just a, a variation. And as we move through losses, I think we learned a lot about ourselves. You're, you're asking for help comment, the vulnerability, keeping things to ourselves, acting strong. Those things are very important. But I'll tell you what I think it brings. I think it brings loneliness. And grief compounds and potentially isolates us. How do you feel about that? I agree, and I think that for me... Um, some of the things that I've experienced recently, you know, I, I have a very large family and I tend to, I, I never want to share anything that's not mine to share publicly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I try to be very cautious in that. And so it's, it, it doesn't always come across that way. I think for people who don't know me, they don't necessarily understand, but, and then all of a sudden, oh, she has five sisters. <laughs> So we've known her for a couple years, right? And um, it, but it's it's part of it is there are stories that are not mine that they are not mine to share. So in this situation, it's very difficult because even though I have siblings who have shared this loss, it's still different to each of us. But then also, I constantly worry. Um, you know, as an individual, this is just me. Am I grieving in a way that's inappropriate for everyone else? So not only are you feeling all of these things that you're feeling, but then that further isolates because we live in such a unique world where people can post and share and say things. And for some people, that's a way to express themselves. But for others, they take it personally and they're offended. And so it's 
I think that just today's grief can be isolating um, because of that. And I saw as information was developing for us, people posting things and, and people were getting upset and relationships were tested because of that. And in some situations, when you've lost someone, families come together and they, they really bond. But unfortunately, I've seen where the opposite happens a lot. So I think that, you know, during these times of grief, during these times of loss, we're not always our best selves. And we get paranoid and we are under pressure and we're in pain and we're in sorrow. And that those feelings in themselves are isolating but then also how we react and how we communicate and the relationships that we have during those times can further isolate us, even if you are surrounded by people. Let's, let's go on break, and we will return, and we will discuss more about the isolation, the vulnerability, and the needs to communicate. We will be back right after this short break. Stay with us. We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages. It's marching down When I was growing up in Wisconsin, no matter how frigid it was outside, my Uncle Bob never seemed to get cold. He would come in from the snow wearing a t-shirt and remark how fresh it was outside. Then again, folks from Wisconsin are a pretty hardy bunch. As America's official dairy state, the cows have been known to give ice cream instead of milk when the temperatures drop. What's a word for a giant snowball that is formed by rolling a smaller one through a field of snow? Hog-a-ma-dog. Megla is an old Scots word meaning to trudge laboriously through the snow. And mufflements is an old Lancashire word for thick, warm, insulating clothes and gloves. Don't forget that you shouldn't try and send text messages if you're standing out in the cold. It can lead to typothermia. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Muscle soreness is not an accurate gauge of whether you've had a good workout or not. After you have exercised the next day, you may not feel anything, or you may have muscle awareness. But if your muscles are really sore, that's not good. Not only physically, but mentally also. Being sore has many factors, such as how much stress you've been under, how much sleep you have had, how your eating is going, etc. So scoring your workout on how sore you are is counterproductive. I am asking you to work out every day. But if you push yourself too hard one day and are so sore that you can't work out the next day, that's not a good thing. Exercise should be pleasant and productive. I want you to exercise the rest of your life. Working out does not have to be uncomfortable to be effective. Be consistent, get a great workout in, and enjoy. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond.
Welcome back. Welcome We're continuing back. our discussion on loss and grief. And Susie, I want to piggyback on something you said about being cautious not to share what's not yours to share, that some things are particular to other people to share that you know, but you would not share them. I have found myself very surprised at times when someone has shared something that I thought to be a family moment uh, or something that was not going to be publicized. And I, I do recall feeling, oh, well, why didn't I know that that was supposed to be? There are just some people who are much more open about talking about specific things, or if I've gotten a signal that this is meant just for internal messaging, if you will, I, that creates some tension sometimes. It, it does, and I think, too, that, again, that comes back to that intentional pause because even if you are open, and, I, I mean, you've seen my social media. I post a, a lot about my, my personal life, not personal as in, you know, my children, but as to what I do and why I do what I do, those types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a difference between sharing openly and there's a difference <laughs> and, and taking things that aren't necessarily ours to share. And I think that a lot of people could go to that class, <laughs> um, and <laughs> you know, um, I, and I hate to say that, but I think that social media gives us this platform and we feel as though everyone needs all of this information but we oftentimes don't pause and think about how that's going to affect those in our own lives. And, Mm -hmm. and, and, in, in small ways, you know, when we do share, when I do share, um, people may get upset about it, but I always try to do it from my perspective and the things that I've, that have affected me personally and how I felt and not share on those experiences that they've endured. So Mm -hmm. I think that that's, that's just, you know, we could do an entire topic just on social media etiquette alone. But it might be a very <laughs> valuable episode, to be honest. I think Eat. so. Um, I think that, you know, how you felt, if that person knew knew you personally, then that was an intentional thing because they weren't thinking about you at the time. But also, you know, again, back to communication, we have to communicate these things to one another because people do use these platforms very differently. And some do post everything that they've eaten all day long and it's nothing to them to share very intimate things. Right. So, Mm -hmm. but I think that there are some experiences that are just human experiences. And when it is such a very intimate human experience that we need to keep those people that it affects at the forefront of our thoughts and make sure that we're doing what we can to take care of them and not harming their process and healing. And I think that that's where the respect of, of this very difficult topic comes in because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's not necessarily just about us at that point. No, uh, a, a loss can be a communal loss. It can be to the immediate family, the extended family, friends. We don't know how many people we touch or the family members have touched. And I think it's illuminating when we find out that there's a ripple effect. And 
that's a good thing from the standpoint of allowing people to know what's going on. That's the good aspect of social media. You get the message out. You can do it differently than you know, years of old. It was someone had to get on the phone and make all the phone calls, and that was very difficult. And explaining things the same way, we have many ways that technology has helped us to spread the word a lot faster. But as you said, people communicate differently and use words differently. And words matter in terms of how it comes across. And I think that's interesting. The, the people that interest me the most, that I love dearly, are ones that just blurt out, you know, <laughs> I don't even know what to say to you. Because I think that's just honest and genuine and authentic. I agree. And I think, too, that you can you see that that's, there's no uh, ill intent there. And they're not they're, They just are letting you know. And I, I've had those moments. I had this discussion with someone a few days ago about those people that, unfortunately, in, in times like these, sometimes people take advantage of situations. And they take advantage of those who are mourning for whatever reason. And it's, it's, it's horrible to even have to, to realize that, but that is a truth. And I think that when you have someone like that, who says, I don't know what to say to you, it's refreshing in a way, because sometimes mm -hmm. after you've experienced those people who, for whatever reason, um, have said things and not necessarily meant them. Um, it, it's, it's very off putting in, in that, and again, you know, we're not our best selves when we're, grie we're grieving sometimes. So I think that that's one of the, the things that I've taken away from this is we talk about in what I do being kind to one another, but we have to be kind to ourselves as, as well and realize I'm being a little hectic right now. <laughs> I'm not being <laughs> a very person. I need to, I know I need to go home and take a bath or do whatever it is I need to do and just kind of calm down as much as possible. So uh -oh. I find it interesting that um, it, it just like everything else in life these days, there appears that there's an aspect of judgment, um, and that's not warranted most of the time because judging is such a harsh thing these days, but we are living our lives so out in the public for the most part that people like to make it theirs. And I think one thing that was very important to develop was a, a thicker skin that I couldn't expect other people to be in my shoes. It would be nice that when they were, but not everybody knows how to do that. And there are awkward people and there are loving people and usually there is no ill intent. But with grief and a supposed timeline and, you know, it's been this length of time, why haven't they gotten over it or they should not be making those mistakes at work any longer? It was when you and I were speaking, and we realized that in many cases, a bereavement day is all that's granted at work. And that's not enough. No, it isn't. And I mean, if you think about it, that is the funeral. That is it. That, that's, that's one day of, of being there at an event. But in, in my situation, it was nine days of having to organize and coordinate and find information. And unfortunately there were multiple people. Um, so it wasn't just 
a single individual that we were preparing for, and it made it very difficult. One of the the best parts of, and I try to look for that silver lining, was the fact that there were many of us who were able to help. Uh, like I said, I had five sisters, so there were four others who were there that were able to take the lead when necessary. But I, I just kept thinking to myself the entire time, how would any person be able to endure this alone, let alone in a single day? There's just, there's absolutely no way to do that. And then afterward, you know, after this nine days of absolute hell, I mean, there's no other way to put it. Mm-hmm. You again to work and you finally start to get back into normal and you're upset with yourself, right? Uh, because how can I go back into my normal life after what I've just been through? Mm-hmm. And I think for me, um, I got in two car accidents myself within two weeks after the funeral. I have not been in a car accident <laughs> for at least 16, 17 years. I shouldn't mm-hmm. have been driving, honestly. And the world around me was very gray. There's, there's no, I have no other way to explain it. I felt like mm-hmm. I was a of fog. And so just that normal everyday activity, I've, I've driven multiple times every day, all the time, you know, I'm very, um, cautious in the car, but my brain was not there. I wasn't present. So to have to go one day, take off work, mourn everything, and then get back to work and be expected to perform at the same level that you did prior to what you've just experienced it's not just unreasonable. It's not possible. I mean, it's just, we, we have experienced a trauma that affects our, our brain functioning that affects our memory that affects our physical, um, well-being. the week after the funeral, multiple people in my family were sick for several days And there's no way we all had different things. So it wasn't as though we'd passed some sort of germ around or anything, but we were emotionally drained for Mm -hmm. over. So I think keeping that in mind that, that our society is very, um, non-accommodating to these situations and it hurts us in the long run in ways that if we were given the time and the tools even to move through this period and heal, we, we would probably be a lot better off than having to limp along for extended periods of time. I completely agree. And I think limping is a good way of expressing it. When we aren't given the time to go through it properly, it elongates the whole process. And I'm not sure that you know, grieving on speed grieving is really a way to move through something. You're being forced along. And we're going to go on our, our last break of the program. And we're going to come back and talk more about the present responses to grief, how we can help others, how we can help ourselves, and why this is a way to process loss of any type. And so stay with us. We'll be right back. Return after these short messages. If you could live your life truly standing in a place of peace, joy, and abundance, wouldn't that make your heart soar? Now you can with lessons in joyful living. 
with your host, Kimberly Rinaldi. Mondays at noon central, Kimberly Rinaldi, having created a highly successful coaching practice, now teaches lessons in joyful living. She believes in empowering others and that through it, you have the ability to break through any and all barriers, thus allowing you to reach your greatest potential and joyfully step into your life's purpose. What used to take weeks, months, or even years, she can now teach you in a matter of hours with her programs. For more on Kim and her show, go to her website, KimberlyRinaldi.com. That's R-I-N-A-L-D-I.com. Then join us for Lessons in Joyful Living with your host, Kimberly Rinaldi. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Eat This, Not That, reported on a study in the Journal of the American College of Nutrition that found that people with a high intake of olive oil showed fewer wrinkles than those with a high intake of butter. The reason? Olive oil has monounsaturated fats in abundance. The Mayo Clinic says these fats are considered a healthy dietary fat and can lower your risk of heart disease, may help normalize your blood clotting, and can be helpful if you have type 2 diabetes. Olive oil is high in calories, so be sure to use small amounts. Drizzle it over your salads and over fresh vegetables before you roast them in the oven or on the grill. And always saute vegetables in a little olive oil instead of butter. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Welcome back. We are here with Susie Reese today talking about loss and grief, really of all things, um, people. Our, our lives have changed immeasurably when we lose people close to us, people even far away from us. The circumstances can make a difference. There is something different and unique and personal about every loss. But I think we're also talking about loss of the pathways we thought we had in front of us, um, relationship loss. There's all kinds of things. And learning how to talk through or to move through internally is a really important trait that is not given a lot of attention in our society. You've mentioned, Susie, already you know, sharing on social media. There are people who go the other way. They go silent on social media and, and take a break. There are those who... Uh, basically turn into a turtle and, and turn internally. And there's nothing wrong with any of these responses to grief. In many ways, I, I wish that sometimes our society would allow um, very visible signs of, of grieving. Um, for example, in certain cultures, you wear black, you wear an armband. Um, it's always possible to tell that someone is grieving. In our society, there's very little of that, if any. There are some customs following the loss. For example, in the Jewish faith, there's Shiva. So that's eight days. That's not long either. But there is some ritual. And, and I often wondered if there was a ritual that would have helped in the various losses that I've experienced. And yet I find that, and I'm going to bring this up because I think almost everyone has experienced this, 
we are more open with the loss of a dog or a cat or a pet than we often are with people because it seems universal. It seems safer. Um, it's asking less of others. And I think that's probably our healthiest um, example of loss that we get great sympathy for. Does that make sense? It does. I think so. I think that you're right 100% on the fact that we don't allow space or time for these things. And I think that in shifting forward, we, we live in a society where we just push through and it makes it, it doesn't allow anyone, it doesn't, we don't take the time to appreciate how deeply these things impact us. So mm -hmm. um, I think that those other cultures understand the importance of that space and how it, it builds community. It builds a, a place for healing, but it, it, it forces them again to pause. It forces them to be present in that pain and to acknowledge it. Because I find that back to the work that I do, oftentimes people don't pause and mm -hmm. they've built up this compounded loss, this compounded grief, this compounded pain and trauma. And at some point, when they least want it to, it forces it, them to pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. And we pay a price. And I feel as though we, we wouldn't have to pay those prices in the way that we do if we, we honored these losses and if we honored the fact that this pain doesn't care. It, it doesn't. It doesn't care who we are or how much money we have or how... Um, good looking mm -hmm. or any of those things, it it will take its toll on us one way or another. It's funny. One of the things that helped me was to write, mm -hmm. to write all the things that I appreciated about the person that I lost, lost, because I knew over time I might forget some of those things. And it's funny. I, I kept it running. Um, and to, to others, it's probably just a stream of consciousness thing. But writing things out has always been a way that has helped me. Even if I erase it later, I, I have written it out and uh, gotten, gotten those feelings out. So more or less a self-therapy, but it was through appreciation. And it was helpful to me. And I think if we can find something that helps us, whether it's talking to ourselves in a quiet setting, whether it's writing, um, whether it's you know simply compiling photographs and things so that you can always look back or to pass on, I think that legacy is important. And I know that the legacy that some people leave is not what they would want to leave. And yet you don't always get a choice. I agree. I think that I love that word legacy. Um, for, for me, for a long time, what I have done has partially been for the legacy of my own father, but also the journey that he unintentionally set, set me on when he died. Mm -hmm. In his, his notes, um, he left a note, and I, I seldom discuss it because it is a very intimate thing, but he mentions his children twice, and in one of those, it, his sentence says, no one would listen to me. Susie, maybe they will listen to you one day. And that was difficult to read 
at a younger age because at the time I felt as though I had this responsibility to do something with it. And I didn't feel at all capable or worthy or even know where to go with that. But after time, I realized that this was the realm that I, I wanted to be in. I, I didn't realize it at an early age that I had been searching for answers and I had been in this realm for a very long time before I publicly began to use the knowledge that I had. But that mm-hmm. concept of legacy, we do leave something behind and it may not be what we want. But at the same time, we all have the power to determine what that is every day we can be intentional in who who we leave for the rest of the world after we're gone right but mm-hmm. i don't know that one thinks that way and so when you've lost someone at a very young age you realize very early on that life is very unfair and mm-hmm. that's no no promise of tomorrow and so for me that was why i began doing what i i began to do about talking about these issues because I want people to understand that it isn't fair and there are things that we can do while we are here, but we also have the power to impact future generations so that maybe they can learn something from us. I don't know that I know anything, but um, I I would beg to differ with that. I I think they do learn from us, but what you're talking about is, is so important because how many times have you gone to a memorial service or a funeral and learn things about someone you didn't have a clue about. Right. And so for a short period of time after that, usually it's only a short period, you you realize that you want to know more about people while they're here and that you are not guaranteed tomorrow or next week or next year. And in many ways, if we allow that emotion to to take hold and with kindness and compassion and interest, intentional interest, Try to build bridges with the people we are close to or wish to know more. It's kind of interesting what it opens up because I think that people are, they're, they're okay with sharing if you are really interested. I think we are such a, a drive by society right now that, and I am, I happen to be an introvert, so I'm not terribly impressed with superficial conversations. I like the deeper ones. And so I've come out of those situations where I've been to a funeral or a wake or something, and I want to know more about certain people. And I do take the effort to try and do that. I wish I did it more. But listening to you, I know that you have done something of of great value. I want our listeners to know where to go to find out more information about you and your work. And that can be found at Susie, S-U-S-I-E, Reese, R-E-E-C-E dot com. And tell a little bit about what you do so that our listeners do know what you do um, on a day-to-day basis. And then we will also be coming back with more episodes on grief and loss and grace and compassion and sudden loss and, and many other topics that go along with this and the language of loss and grieving. There's a lot to talk about. And Susie, tell about what you do and how we will be continuing this conversation. Thank you. Yes, so I am a public speaker and I speak on a variety of topics. My specialty is suicide uh, prevention, intervention, and postvention, in fact. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, That's what most people know me for is the public speaking side. It's the easier side to promote. Um, But my my passion lies in developing programs. And Mm -hmm. so I I love being able to train and teach others on these topics and, and not just hopefully bore them to death, right? But also give them skills and practical tools that they can use in their roles, professional roles, or even in their personal realms, but also um, engage them because I I love storytelling. I love learning about individuals and using those stories to connect these things and make them real for others. So that's kind of who I am and what I do. Wonderful. And and I know that the conversations that you have make a big difference to people. And so we will have more of these types of conversations talking about grief and loss. And we know that this is a topic that touches all of you. And so this will not be a a, a dark series, but it's a tough topic, but we will show you that you can move on. Actually, I take that back. Let me erase that. Moving on is not what we're talking about, but moving through the stages of grief, how you are unique, and how it's an intimate personal process. And we will make an effort to give you some of these skills and tools that Susie speaks about because it is so important and it is a vital part of life. And we give and we need to receive. And we hope that this finds a a place with you. We are affirming that you are not alone. You are not alone. And there are many people with misery and that's one of the reasons we talk about be kind because we do not know what other people are going through each day of their lives. Susie, thank you so much for sharing today with us and we will talk again next week and continue this conversation on loss and grief. Many thanks. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in today. You can find more shows at wisehealthforwomenradio.com.